Come and dream with me. Hello and welcome to Body Water Watch, the Explosion Times premium video podcast. Every week we get together and talk about movies, TV, and online content and help to answer the question. Is there going to be a bigger, bold-faced lie than Warner Brothers claiming to be the only pure storytelling company in movies this year? Um, I don't think so. That's a pretty, pretty bold thing to say when you just write off a bunch of animation projects. I'm your host, Ashley Hobley. Join me today, Tom Blight. I think it's not bold. I just think it's a cunty, you know? <laughs> That's fair. That's a fair statement. Mm-hmm. Uh, on today's episode, we'll be talking about what's in our watch history, revealing our 2024 Academy Award predictions, going over some film news, giving some thumbs to trailers, and revealing this week's top three. Uh, kicking things off, over on Holocron entries, we talked about the first three episodes of season three of The Bad Batch, the final season, uh, where you know, they released a three-episode premiere uh, of the Star Wars animated series. Dylan, what are your thoughts on the start of this season of Bad Batch? Uh, yeah, good start to the to the the final season. Um, hopefully, seeing it head into wrapping up the story or doing something interesting with the the elements that they're playing with, because they've just thrown a bunch of ideas and things to link it towards the the Rise of Skywalker, basically throughout the three seasons or the two previous seasons, and now they're full steam ahead with that idea it looks like so um yeah like uh, enjoyed the three episodes uh hopeful they can land this plane <laughs> yeah i mean i think it's a uh, interesting setup to the season and kind of giving us answers um there is definitely a lot of you know uh trying to fix certain elements of the star wars law that has been <laughs> Uh, set up in other movies that they're trying to like you know explain uh with some of the stuff that they're doing in the series um but yeah i mean it's it's a good time it's pretty solidly animated the performance is really good um yeah i'm keen to check out be following each week over on holocron entries uh i do kind of wish they would just put out multiple episodes every week i don't know i feel like yeah just just let me get to the end you know it's going to be rough to go to next week. It's like one episode, one 20 minute episode. It's like, mm-hmm. is this enough? Yeah. But yeah, Bad Batch season three, we're talking about it over on Cron entries. So check that out. Uh, so I went and watched Drive Away Dolls, the first film directed solely by Ethan Cohen, uh, written by Trisha Cook and Ethan Cohen, starring Margaret Qualley. Uh, Geraldine Visper Nathan, Beanie Feldstein, Coleman Domingo, Pedro Pascal, Big Bill Camp, and Matt Damon. Uh, it follows uh, two lesbian friends who go on a road trip, uh, one after Margaret Qualley's character has a breakup with her girlfriend, um, played by Bernie, Beanie Feldstein, uh, and the other one, you know, just decides she wants to go, you know, south. So they, like, do a drive away, which I think is a thing in America where you take a car that needs to be delivered somewhere and you drive, you drive it to that location. You know, it's like right. car. De- it's like, I guess car Uber, no car delivery, Uber, something like that. 
um, set in 1999 as well. So that, that's a clear distinction. Um, unfortunately, there's been a mishap where a bunch of bad guys have like stowed away a secret package in this car that, uh, but and wanted their drivers to take it away. But you know, the guy at the driveway place has given it to these two lesbian women. Um, so there, yeah, you know, they've accidentally taken this packet secret package with secret stuff inside. Um, and these bad guys are going to track them down. Um, it's fun. It's a really fun time. I really, I think Margaret Qualley is fantastic in this. She's doing a Southern accent, which is very against type, but is so perfect. And she's, uh, she's, I mean, it's a classic odd couple thing where, you know, she's hyper free spirited and wants, you know, open about her sexuality and, you know, sex and that kind of stuff. Um, whereas, Geraldine's character is more, you know, straight laced and like kind of closeted, I guess, a little bit, or like you know, uh, very uh, you know, old fashioned and that kind of thing. Um, but you know, they come together as best friends, um, or potentially more. It's you know, um, yeah, it it's fun. There is just some weird. I mean, at times it's like, I mean, it's a Cohen movie. I think it kind of reminds me the most of like Rise, Raising Arizona, like some of the, uh you know, surreal or like over the top reactions to certain things. Um, the dialogue is really snappy and fun and that kind of thing, but there's some weird stuff in there. There's like these, uh, hallucinated, like a hallucination esque, you know, drug, uh, interstitials at times. It does kind of come to like a, 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 there is some sort of point to all the, all of them, but in the moment, it's like very jarring to have these weird, like drug trippy interstitials. Um, I just, I kind of wish it was a little bit longer. I wish the payoff at the end was a little bit bigger. Um, but I had a really good time with the characters. Um, Bernie Fieldstein is really fun as like the jilted ex who's really angry. There's a very funny scene at the start where she is drilling off a wall mounted dildo that's just hanging on the wall, <laughs> you know. She's very upset. She's like, you bought me this. I don't want it anymore. Um, yeah, lots of dildos, lots of <laughs> jokes. There is the, the driveway dude called called Curly. It's very funny. He's very funny. <laughs> Poor Curly, uh, who, you know, meets an unfortunate end. Coleman Domingo uh, plays like the, the leader of these couple of bad guys who are following the girls across, like, as they're traveling south to florida i want to say um they i feel like there could have been a few more misadventures and that kind of thing it just feels like it could have been a little bit more um i've seen some of the criticism like oh ethan cohen is a bit weird that he's doing like a lesbian movie um which i don't take much issue with i just feel like what he's doing his showcasing of lesbianism is not really progressive it's like Every time it's a bunch of lesbians together, it's either they're all making out or they're in a bunch of dive lesbian dive bars, and that's it. You know, I think that's how it's, I think that's what lesbians do. That, is that the entire lesbian? Oh, experience? I think that's the lesbian experience. I think that's the, the lesbian experience. Well, I apologize to Ethan Collins because yeah, he captured. I, th- I think that's yeah. That's all they do. I think that's all they do. I apologize. You know, my mistake. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ethan Cohen, fantastic depiction of lesbians mm-hmm. <laughs> in mm-hmm. driveway dolls. Um. So yeah, I would recommend checking out. It's a fun time. Uh, I 
it did it got like a C minus cinema score, which is really not good. And obviously it didn't do very well at the box office. Um but I had a good time. I think there's a lot of laughs in there. Um Geraldine and Margaret Qualley are fantastic together. Um Yeah. Check it out if you can. Whoever, you know. Wherever you can, whenever you can. Uh all right, Dylan. You watched the, I'm assuming you watched the tr- finale of True Detective Night Country. Yeah, i got to be honest, like, right as we jumped on here, I was like, fuck, I should have to see if I updated my track, and I had not. So anyway, I've checked into that now. Um, <laughs> I did indeed watch the finale of True Detective Night Country. Um, I really enjoyed the whole season. I thought it was really good. Um, it's been really interesting to to watch and keep up the, the news, <laughs> I guess, if you want to call it that. <laughs> as it's been happening, because while it's both the most viewed since the... Well, actually, no, I think it's more viewed than the first season. It's the most viewed season of True Detective. Yeah, so the most viewed season of True Detective, um, it's got the highest score, or one at least as good as thing. But if you look on the internet, I'd have you believe that everyone hates it. So, <laughs> mm. And the show's original creator hates it, so, you know. It's, it's a wild time. Um, Jodie Foster and Kaylee Reese Reese. I think um they're absolutely fantastic as the, the two characters throughout this i think the the i don't know it's hard to talk about spoiling it so i mean it's it becomes a story and it i mean it's a story about two women and their unresolved trauma um not like joint trauma well i mean to a degree it is at one point but um they have their own sort of things and a case happens all these men disappear the scientists they walk out um fucking disappear and then they their bodies get found in the snow and then you've got this case happening and it's sort of like the case becomes their obsession but also as a means to not ever face what's really troubling them in their own lives. Um, and they just get sort of obsessed with it to a degree. Um, all the other characters that are, are actors in it are really, really good. I think shout out to Fiona Shaw. She plays like one of the strongest um, little side characters who doesn't get a lot of time, but every time she's on screen, she's a, such a strong presence. Um, interesting, I think she's implied to either be the mum of... Matthew Bihonohe's character from season one, or at least she was the partner of, because um, she was dating uh, Matthew Bihonohe's character from season one's dad, who's mentioned in the first season as having moved out to here. And then he's mentioned in this as like, because he's passed away at this point. So there's your like connection to, to between seasons. Um, and then uh, Christopher Eccleston plays a bit of a fuckhead in this, but, you know, he does a good job at, at doing that as, uh, like, sort of Jodie Foster's character's, like, uh, uh, I want to say boss, I guess, uh, in the, the police force. Um, yeah, lots of symbolism, lots of... There's a few unanswered questions going into the finale, but it's that... Uh, like, if you're someone who wants all the answers, like, the show may bother you by the time you get to the end, but, like um you, you we don't need all the answers it's it's fine there's 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 a few interesting tidbits um if you look on the internet there's lots of people trying to fucking you, if you scroll through it out of context the 
who left the tongue is such a weird question <laughs> to see and go, what the fuck is that about? But that's like sort of one of the unanswered questions of the show. But um, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. And I think the other standout thing from it was just how much um, it covered and brought in the indigenous side of this particular area of America. Um, what they're facing um and because this is based on like a lot of real i guess issues um that have happened and are happening um and i thought that was a, a side that definitely i haven't seen um shown in a major television show um you know lots of picketing against these major oil corporations and and stuff like that on um what was their land until you know history um yeah, so all that's really good. Uh, and I'm really keen to see the, the they announced that uh, we're getting a follow-up. Isa, Isa Lopez is returning. So, yeah, super keen. I really enjoyed it. Yes, I'm I'm happy for everybody involved, and I'm enjoying them reveling in their success in the face of every, <laughs> all the hate. It's yeah. funny. It's just like this one, it's old dudes. And, like... Whoa, like, what a surprise. I am so shocked. <laughs> That a it's bunch just, of dudes are upset about a female-led, female-created season of television. Yeah. It's so funny, though, because you just, like, like I started following, um, I I never heard or seen um, Issa Lopez's stuff before. I want to go back and watch, like, some of her movies now, because I obviously really enjoyed this. And I started following her on Twitter and stuff like that, and she would, like, tweet out, like, fan theories, and, like, she's very, like, interactive on Twitter each episode, which, again, I, is one of my, like, highlights about why shows like This Week to Week are good, because it gave someone like her a chance to sort of interact with the the positive fan base and um, should retweet people with good theories and, like, smiley faces and, like, thank people for enjoying the show and whatever else. But then every now and then she'd be like, I don't know why you're hating, <laughs> you know? And then you'd get, like, um, the original dude, like, just, like, sharing all these, like, hate th- hateful things or whatever. It's, it's um, and, and then meanwhile, you've got these really, like, wholesome interviews with Jodie Foster and um, Kelly Rees, like, there was an interview with Jodie Foster where she was, like, coming to the show and it was like she asked for her character to be aged up and then she asked for more of the story to center on um Kelly Ree's character instead of her because she you know she's at that time of her career where she's pr- pretty comfortable she doesn't feel like she needs to be the you know the, the centerpiece of anything anymore um so like all in all it's like there's so many like good stories that have come <laughs> like re-into re-done reboot of the true detective and then over on the other side of the internet it's just a bunch of dudes <laughs> just going this is the worst thing that's ever happened we really cared about this franchise <laughs> that we didn't even realize was in its fourth season <laughs> you know yeah it's like fucking hell they haven't made a film a season of for like several years you know yeah good times uh yeah so everybody go watch tigers are not afraid Issa Rae's movie Mm. which apparently is very good i've seen you know i was looking something up about horror movies maybe looking up like uh last week's franchises nolan should do and like that one was uh, an underrated movie that kept popping up so well i assume it's like that's coming off that she's got this so yeah well i mean that was made in 2017 so i mean i'm sure she did a bunch of stuff no, i'm sure she's done other stuff but like i, I think that was from yeah, my, my googling and again i'm saying i've, I've literally never heard of it. i'm fucking very naive to her uh history yeah. but like coming that was everything i googled everyone that was the one thing that everyone mentioned so yeah yeah uh so you've been watching a lot of stuff on abc have you <laughs> indeed 
You've been watching the documentary series Nemesis. It's quite good. Um, so it's about uh, Australian politics. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a three-part series about the Abbott, Morrison, um, Scott, who the fuck? No, Turnbull. Fuck, let's back there for a sec. It's about the, the, their years within government. Um, it features interviews with everyone apart from Abbott who chose to <laughs> not be involved. Um, and again, it's as someone who I, obviously they're not my, uh, who I was voting for at any point in history, <laughs> but it's still quite interesting to watch. Uh, they cover everything from, you know, um, Abbott getting into government, them saying, you know, we got to, like after the Kevin Rudd, Julia Gillard shit, Australia wants this, you know, strong government um, without all that flip-flopping between people and then what eventually <laughs> happened with them anyway. Um, yeah, hearing all these interviews behind the scenes, it, it's one of those things where you like get annoyed sometimes because you'll they'll literally be interviewing like certain politicians and they'll be talking about how yeah so we were like it sounds like parody it's like yeah so we'd gather at so-and-so's house every night and like they're just planning to overthrow fucking turnbull or whoever you know and all this stuff and they're like would have these meetings in the office somewhere. i'm like what do you actually do because it sounds like all you do is just sit around and fucking <laughs> plot to overthrow one another I'm not, I'm not sure what else is going on um cover everything from you know tony abbott shirt fronting uh putin comments through to obviously um turnbull completely screwing himself over by making up a lie the day he took over um from abbott and saying that abbott got 30 30 weeks of negative poll results uh which he admits was just total bullshit and a number he made up but then as soon as he reached 30 negative weeks that was the benchmark he set himself and he fucked himself um you know through to scott morrison uh taken going for a trip to hawaii which in 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 the interview he still says he doesn't see the big deal about so (laughs) (laughs) while the country was burning while the country is burning you know so there's lots of good little tidbits in here um yeah i I feel like obviously it's it's definitely not for the i don't know maybe outside of australia could find interest but you know within australia it's definitely a a, a very strong each episode is about an hour and a half 90 minutes so um, very in depth into each of their in each episode. Ninety minute one is obviously focused on that one particular prime minister's run. Um, yeah, I've I've been really enjoying it. I thought it was quite uh, quite insightful. Cool. I mean, you've also been watching Media Watch and Four Corners. Is that have you something I mean, got a th- general I I, interest in America? I, think I usually Wars? watch. I usually watch Media Watch anyway. I think I never really checked into it. And then um, I when I opened, because uh, I'd usually just watch it on TV uh, when it's like live, flick through, see it there, watch it. Because it goes for like 15 minutes, right? Yeah. So I'd see it watching dinner or uh, having dinner sometimes. I'd, I'd usually watch it. Um, have you ever watched it? It's quite funny. The... Yeah. It's like uh, pointing out all the mistakes in the media. And that kind yeah. Of yeah. So it's, it's always like, here's the Herald Sun headline that they say this. We reached out to them. They said this. That's bullshit because it's, it's, keep, it's meant to keep in line. It's like, the show's been running for like Forever. 10 plus years. It's it's very old. Um, but yeah, so, but when I was, when I put on that Nemesis thing, because I, I don't know where, I saw someone tweet about it and I was like, yeah, I might check that out. Um, but the, the, when I was on ABC IV, I was like, fuck, I might as well just, there were, we're two weeks into Media Watch this year. I might as well um, um, catch up. Start, che- why haven't, I was like, why don't I, why haven't you tracking this? Why aren't I tracking that? Um, so I did that as well, yeah. And then I, I assume you want to watch uh, The Four Corners as well? No, I'm good. I don't. I don't need to watch a guy blow his career. 
<laughs> it's very, that was very funny. So yeah, then um, I watched the Four Corners episode, the first episode. And again, Four Corners is not something I no. would regularly watch. I would I'll watch it when, much like this particular episode, there's something that's well um, talked about and like mm. you know something of interest or whatever. I'm not going to be watching every episode of Four Corners. Um, but yeah, the the one that everyone was talking about on the news because it was about the supermarkets, Coles versus Woolworths. Um, and the big headline was, of course, the fuckhead from Woolworths, whatever his name is, Brad, just Brad from supermarkets, um, just completely acts like an idiot. And then the next day he quit. Very funny. Very good Four Corners episode that digs into, I mean, a lot of it, you obviously know that the prices are fucked and you're like, why do I want to watch this? It's just going to, you know. Uh, you know, you're like, what, what's it telling me that's different? But there's some funny parts in there too where like he buys a bottle of wine that Coles owns and Coles don't advertise that they own it. And on the back of the bottle, it has some like big, uh, big fancy story about it. People coming to this country and settling here and the two rivaling wine places or whatever. And they like drives out to where apparently this place is. And he goes to the dude there. He's like, do you know anything about this? He's like, nah, I've never seen this. <laughs> you know? So it's just like, and then like after Cole's uh, head or whatever, like what's the deal with the bottles? And she's like, oh, we'll look into it. <laughs> and all this like, you know, other weird shit like, yeah. So there's other stuff like that. Um, stuff that I don't have where I live, but like these big coals uh, that like, they're not actual supermarkets that they're, they're set up like supermarkets, but they're just solely for click and collect. So I can't remember the wording they use, but I don't, I don't have any of those around me. Um, but yeah, interviewed some of the employees from that and saying that because there's no actual um, visitors to the store outside of employees, that their conditions are terrible. You know, like the, they, they regularly, they, they get like 15 minute breaks and six hour shifts they fucking it's hot as fuck in there they don't have air conditioning because they want to save money like all the you know like mm. that sort of stuff i found outside of the hey did you know the prices are higher because shit they can and people are paying they for can, them and yeah. then and Woolworths goes high and then Coles matches them and Coles goes high and Woolworths matches them. It's like all of that, like I'm well aware of, um, and is ridiculous. Um, and the only thing they say about that is obviously that the government should be doing something about it, which they apparently are, but they're gonna spend like twelve months doing an in fucking investigation into it before they do anything. Um Yeah, but no, that was a interesting episode as well. Alright. Uh so I watched a couple of prime video sports documentaries. Uh, the first one's called Bye Bye Barry, which focuses on the uh, Detroit Lions running back Barry Sanders, uh, who was, you know, fantastic running back, um, who uh, ran for Detroit from uh, 1989 to 19, 1999. <laughs> it's like 10 years, but uh, he retired like abruptly on the verge of like breaking the all time rushing record. Um, and like, it's always been a kind of like a mystery or like people don't understand why, like he would quit playing football, like right before he could potentially like put himself into be the best running back of all time or like have the greatest rushing record of all time. Um, so it's a documentary kind of follows his career, kind of explains like a lot of his, uh, like rationale and like a bunch of different like things that he did during his career and how like it was weirdly like in juxtaposition with like stuff he did before he made made to the NFL. Like his first season, he was like right before the end, like right before the end of the match is like 10 yards away from being the rushing leader for the year. And he just, you know, they're winning the game by a lot. He's like, no, I don't need to go back into the game. You know, I'm good. That's weird. He's, He's a guy who's wasn't interested in, personal accolades or any of that kind of stuff but he was 
one of the best running backs of all time. Um, really interesting documentary. Lots of interesting talking heads. Of course, you've got a lot of like, um, like people within the footballing community and that kind of stuff, and like commentators and reporters and that kind of stuff. But then you've got like diehard, famous Detroit Lions fans like Jeff Daniels uh, and Eminem <laughs> being interviewed as well and talking about their experiences and how you know how kind of heartbroken they were when he left and that kind of stuff. Um, and of course, they've got they actually have Barry Sanders talking about you know his career and like his relationship with his dad, who he was very media shy, but his dad was like very happy to talk to any single media person who ever came to his door. And like, um, they kind of had an interesting relationship where you know his dad was always like trying to, I guess, try to humble him. Um, but it always kind of felt like he was like talking shit about him the entire time, like. If it was me, I would have run. I'm a much. I was a much better running back when back in my day. Uh, I never played NFL, but I was much better than. I'm the number two running back of all time. You know, I kind of try to hold all these things above Barry's head and that kind of thing. Yeah, very fascinating documentary. Check that out. And then I watched Giannis: The Marvelous Journey, which follows, uh, which documents the rise of Giannis Antetokounmpo, um, from being a refugee in Athens to. Uh, playing in the NBA, uh, his family, uh, like his mum and dad, like left Nigeria to come to Greece despite not knowing the language or anything, and were pretty much living in Greece completely undocumented. Um, could have been deported any day that you know authorities came across them and that kind of stuff. And they had their four four of their children. The fifth, they their first child, they had to leave in Nigeria because they they just wouldn't have been able to make the journey. Um, so yeah, following the like. Giannis talks about their childhood and how rough it was, especially because when they're growing up, you know, they had that massive uh, financial crisis in Greece um, where, you know, rather than blaming the government, it's like, it's all the these undocumented refugees who are causing all the financial issues, you know? These people on absolutely no money and uh, struggling to live day by day are, like, the ones to blame. Well, like, they their are economy collapsing. If, if they had more money, they could spend it, you know? <laughs> um. So yeah, just talking about these four people, like this family of six living in like two bedroom houses or like one bedroom houses and that kind of stuff. And like, um, you know, how, you know, they had no money and how difficult it was. And like, they got into basketball so he could try and make money to like uh, give back to his family and that kind of stuff. And like kind of documents his coming to America and like how difficult that transition was because he couldn't be with his family and like uh, how the Milwaukee Bucks like tried really, really hard to get his, well, like had to work super hard to try and get his family across um, because they didn't have passports or anything, you know? And the only reason he got a passport, it was, he was so good at basketball. Like the Greece government's like, we don't want you playing for Nigeria. So you, you we'll give you a passport. So you're eligible to play for Greece um, in, in, in like internationally and that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, then it kind of follows his career in, uh, uh, the NBA, becoming the MVP, winning the championship, all that kind of stuff. So, um, and then you know all this family stuff. It, it's it's a very interesting look at a character who like is is one of the characters of the NBA, one of the like uh, the faces, one of the best players, and like very different from every other NBA player because he's so family focused and like family, like family family first. He just wants to be around his family all the time and that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, very wholesome documentary recommend checking that one out on prime video as well 
All right, let's move into the mandatory Netflix segment of the show. The thing I've been watching on Netflix is Avatar The Last Airbender. Now, my favorite story, just before you move on, to give your thoughts on it. My favorite story I saw about the show this week was apparently one of the cast members auditioned and they thought they were auditioning for James Cameron's Avatar. <laughs> yeah. That's very funny. I, that is funny. Um, yeah, one of the like older <laughs> older mm. cast members. So, older cast know. members, yeah. yeah. So, um, so yeah, this is a live-action a- live adaptation of the beloved animated series Avatar The Last Airbender, also known as Avatar Legend of Aang, um, not featuring any blue people, but yeah. featuring a, a world in which uh, people can uh, bend or turn, you know, use powers related to the four elements, earth, fire, wind, no, earth, fire, earth, fire, water, and air. 100 years ago, there was a big, uh, you know, the Fire Nation, the Fire people, the Fire Nation decided to strike against uh, the Air Nomads and wipe them out. And the only person who could have saved them was the Avatar, someone who could bend all four elements, but he disappeared, uh, but has been reborn or found 100 years later after he was frozen in like a block of ice. Um, So now he has to try and stop the Fire Nation before they take over the world. Um, which is very base, basic level explanation. Uh, I love the animated series. So going into this, especially at first, like this is one of those shows that like, I was very optimistic, like from the first few trailers. You always are though. Yeah. I'm always, you know, hopeful. Mm. And then they started talking about it and (laughs) my optimism was diminished consistently. Every time they say anything. Um, I think the show is fine. It is... It's... It's it's definitely better than the M. Night Shyamalan film. I think there are some cool visuals. There's, I think they do a solid job at, like, um, the story. It's just hard to, like, see... Have this thing you love, and you see it, like, cut and, like... Yeah, this is a difficult adaptation to like remove yourself from. I feel like, um, you're like, why did they make that choice? Why did they make do that there? Especially in the first four episodes, I'm like, you're you're being very critical of like every decision they're making. <laughs> um, and I think it might be like they're, because they're going for a slightly different tone. Like the series, the, the original animated series was very cartoony at first, and like jovial and like light spirited and that kind of stuff. At least at first, and like would painting shades of darkness and like like hit those like darker themes and elements and that kind of stuff this one they like straight out of the gate let's like try and make this action heavy as possible let's have this really cool fight scene and let's just murder a bunch of people let's like make it as dark as possible definitely trying to make it like a little bit more serious that's um, what people want that well i mean they come out and said we want to make it game of thrones so i mean it's a hell yeah you know it is what it is. sister's uh, fucking whose brother? No, thank God there isn't that. Um, and then it's also the condensed nature of it. Like, the first season, I want to say, off the top of my head, was like a full 20-something episode, like, animated TV show. Um, whereas this is eight, ep- eight 45-minute episodes. Um, so it is definitely 
condensing about a bunch of stuff they're like weaving a bunch of different storylines together and like ways that i don't personally like like um they just they like make decisions like corporate stuff from season two and the umashu stuff and like uh the king boomy stuff um i they make a choice where it's like he reveals himself to be king boomy and i wish they'd like then his actions afterwards just kind of make him more like he's a dick instead of like he's a fun goof who's like trying to test boomy uh trying to test ang in the series uh and that kind of stuff um also feel like yeah i mean and the opening like ang (laughs) the thing that angered a lot of people is this is shot where he's like he's ang's got like wind powers he's the last airbender that's his thing um like his opening shot he's like kind of floating down weirdly and like it looks like he's flying but flying isn't a thing that airbenders do they kind of like use the air but because it's live action the air air doesn't look the same that it does in cartoons you know (laughs) because air is invisible i don't know if you know this still (laughs) can't actually see air so it's like it just just, i just feel like the weight weight of certain things is not great like so obviously you can't do the same amount of fast pacedness that you can do in cartoons like this is elements of cartoons that just don't translate fantastically um but i feel like they did capture a lot of like uh the relationships and that kind of stuff like the core katara Sokka, and ang i feel like i wish they had more time to like develop that relationship um because it's a lot of them interacting with other people. It's not the core three, like interacting with each other very much. I think they got, I think they nailed the, uh, Prince Zuko, uncle Iroh relationship. And, um, especially I was very surprised that, that it actually worked in the ends. Cause like right from the start, uncle Iroh played by, uh, Paul Sung Hyung Lee from, I don't know, the Mandalorian people probably know most from and Kim's convenience. He's just doing a weird voice that I wasn't expecting. It doesn't sound like Uncle Arrow, which is... <laughs> of all the characters that uh, I was most upset about, and not sounding like the animated version, he was the the voice that I was most upset about, like, initially, like, was the most jarring. Uh, but as the season went on, they, like, really captured that character who was very beloved. Um, and I think they did a really good job at the Prince Zuko character. Again, I feel like his storyline would have again would works better over a longer period of time like they're definitely setting up his kind of uh not as bad as he is appears to be like very quickly um you know so it takes away from the redemption arc he's going to potentially be on um and yeah there's just other little things like that i think the production value is pretty good cgi is pretty solid the fights are pretty good um like the costuming is fantastic that kind of stuff. I think it is pretty good. It's just not the animated series. If I was like, if you're, if you were to come to me, Dylan, and say, "Hey, should I watch the live action thing or should I watch the animated thing?" I would always, every day, say the animated thing. Really, I'm shocked. I, I know it is surprising, um, but you know, it's this is for the people who want who don't want to watch animated stuff for some reason. So, I think it does a solid enough job. Um, yeah, I just kind of wish it was longer and had like delved into the characters a little bit more. They have a little bit more fun with like side adventures and that kind of thing. Um, it's very much plot point, plot point, plot point, plot point, point. You know, trying to pull the plot along, 
consistently the entire thing, you know. And also, I'm very upset that they they changed the mole badges and the 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 tunnel of two lovers. Very upset about that. But yeah, other than that, you know, it's fine. Other than that, it's great. Other than that, it's other than all those issues you just. Stated. I mean, it's 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 a difficult task, you know. I would. Here's my thought. I'm trying to think. Would I? Do I prefer this over the Cowboy Bebop remake? And I would say this one sticks more true to the original series than the Cowboy Bebop remake does. But this is definitely below the One Piece live action series. So yeah. Just trying to set the, the scale here for people who want their live action adaptation <laughs> rankings, you know? But yeah, I mean, jump in. I mean, there is some new stuff in here that you'll never seen in the cartoons and that kind of thing that they've kind of expanded on and that kind of thing. So All that, and he says, jump in. <laughs> yeah, why not? Just, you know, watch stuff, I guess. Um, it, you know, I don't think it's terrible. I think the kids, they, uh, also, they're like actually got age-appropriate children who are quite young. So, I mean, that, that makes it, you know, they're not going to win any awards or anything, uh, but they do a solid job. Um, yeah, it was enjoyable enough. <laughs> you know, I didn't hate myself after I watched the <laughs> in episodes. And that's the bar, you know what I mean? Did <laughs> that you hate yourself the, after that watching That is the this? bar. I did no. not watch it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to something else. Um, of course, the Academy Awards are only a couple of weeks away. We just had the SAG Awards on the weekends uh, and the PGAs last night. Um, so we're going to do our Oscar predictions for this year. Uh, Dylan, are you excited for the 96th Academy Awards? Um, I don't know. I feel like, honestly, that I'm getting a little... Um, I feel like uh, uh, there's so many award shows at the moment. I'm over-encumbered. I mean, I think there always were a lot of award shows. Maybe I'm uh, seeing more than usual. Yeah, I think they're televising more of them now. Like, obviously, mm. the SAG Awards was on Netflix this weekend mm-hmm. um, for the first time, like, live, mm. um, which was interesting. Can I say, really, so there were two shocking wins on Sun- on at the SAG Awards. Mm. Pedro Pascal winning for Best <laughs> Actor in a Drama Series. And then, um, who is it? Uh, from The Crown. Yes. Uh, the other Australian <laughs> in a drama series. Yeah, I mean, her winning face, over she, Sarah she yeah. generally looked shocked. Yeah, generally shocked. Uh, but yeah. Uh, so yeah, we're going to go through our predictions. Uh, for anybody who's been checking, keeping count, uh, I've won every single year that we've been doing this. So uh, pay closer attention to what I'm going to predict. <laughs> All right, um, let's kick things off. Best visual effects the nominees are The Creator, Godzilla Minus One, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, and Napoleon. Dylan, what are you predicting? The Creator. I'm also predicting The Creator, but I would love to see Godzilla win this one. Mm. So, I, th- I think it's definitely down to those two. You know? Even though Guardians is very good with the the... The rocket and the Groot, I guess. 
The rocket and, and the, the Groot. kids. Uh, rocket and the Groot and the other animals. Okay. Mm. Before uh, they all die. I mean, yeah, that's what we want from our best visual effects. Next category, best sounds. The nominees are The Creator, Maestro, uh, Mission Impossible Dead Wrecking, and Oppenheimer. We're going Oppenheimer. Me too. Again, shocking. <laughs> How do you not get past the loudness? You know, that's sound in its purest form. Absolutely. Uh, next, uh, best short live action. The nominees are The After, Invincible, Night of Fortune, Red, White, and Blue, and The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar. The Wonderful Who Story of Henry Sugar. Yeah, same. Uh, again, not entirely surprising given, you know, it's uh, Wes Anderson. They're going to front runner. He's, yeah. They finally opportunity to give him an Academy Award. Why not for best live action short? <laughs> uh, best short animated. The nominees are Letter to a Pig, 95 Senses, the, Our Uniform, Patch, Patchaderm, and War is Over. Inspired by the music of John and Yoko. I've gone Letter to a Pig, which apparently is about uh, a girl reading a, a Holocaust survivor reading a story about a letter to a pig that saved her life, apparently. Looks very pretty. I'm going War is Over. People love them strong. Beatles. They do love them Beatles. Next category is Best Production Design. The nominees are Barbie, Killers of the Flower Moon, Napoleon, Oppenheimer, Poor things. Dylan. I'm going poor things, even though I haven't seen it. Okay. I've gone Barbie. Again, I feel like those are the two probably front runners. Like poor things I had incredibly intricate sets, but Barbie was also massive. Barbie was Barbie. Barbie was Barbie with a bunch of sets as well. So yeah. Best original song, the nominees are The Fire Inside from Flaming Hot. I'm just Ken from Barbie. I went away. And it never went away from American Symphony. Wahaz's Hey? Wahaze. A song for my people from Kills the Flower Moon. And what was I made for for Barbie? I feel like it is what was I made for from Barbie. I'm going, I'm just can. I'm going to play full into the memes. I'm going to say Ryan Gosling hates life. He's like, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I wish I never did this. He goes up to accept it. He's just like... Well, I mean, it's okay. confirmed that... It's been confirmed that he's going to perform the yeah. song at the Academy Awards. Yeah. So I don't know if he's going to hate it the entire time. <laughs> uh, Best Original Score. The nominees are Laura Cartman for American Fiction, John Williams for Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, Robbie Robertson for Kills the Flower Moon, Ludwig Goranson for Oppenheimer and Jersic Fendricks for Poor Things. Done. I'm going Oppenheimer, Old Mate Ludwig. I'm also going for Old Mate Ludwig. You know, why not? It's a great soundtrack. We do love Ludwig. Yeah. yeah. He'll be, uh, he'll be a couple time winner now. Mm. Uh, best makeup and hairstyle. The nominees are Golda, Maestro, Oppenheimer, Poor Things, and Society of Snow. I'm going Maestro because, you know, Bradley Cooper's... Bradley Cooper was wearing makeup all day, every day. 
And yeah, I'm still going to Maestro as out. well. I watched the movie. I think it's a bad movie, but yeah, makeup and hairstyling, sure. Good. Makes sense. That was a good part of the movie. Uh, best international feature. The nominees are Io Capitano from Italy, Perfect Days from Japan, Society of the Snow from Spain, The Teacher's Land from Germany, and The Zone of Interest from the United Kingdom. Dylan. I'm going the zone of interest. I'm also going the zone of interest. I think that's a given. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty foregone conclusion in that category. Uh, next category is best film editing. The nominees are Laurent Seneschal for Anatomy of a Fall, Kevin Tent for The Holdovers, Thelma Schoonmaker for Killers of the Flower Moon, Jennifer Lame for Oppenheimer, and Yorgos Mav Prasadis for Poor Things. I've gone Oppenheimer. I zoned out for a split second and forgot what category you're reading out. This is film editing. Film editing, Oppenheimer. <laughs> I've gone with Oppenheimer. I mean, no, very um, highly awesome. uh, edited, very highly edited film, you know, so cut the screen. The, the explosions, the the back, the, yeah. the f- past, present, yeah. Alright. Uh, best documentary short, the nominees are The ABCs of Book Banning the Barber of Little Rock, Island in Between, The Last Repair Shop, and Nainai and Waipo. Dylan. ABCs of book banning I've gone with. I've also gone the ABCs of book banning. Because, you know, that's a hot topic. Mm, I mean, yeah, definitely does feel like we're living in the 1950s, but yeah. Yeah, although I've seen both The Last Repair Shop and Nainai and Waipo being promoted on Disney+. Plus. So if you want to see some of those, watch them. Watch this. Best documentary feature. The nominees are Bobby Wine, The People's President, The Eternal Memory, Four Daughters, To Kill a Tiger, and 20 Days in Maripol. I've gone 20 Days in Maripol. Me too. Yeah. That's one I, I want to watch the most it's, too. It's finally it's about, out soon, I think. It's about the point. Ukraine war, right? Yeah. 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 Again, relevant. Uh, hot topic, so makes sense. Some real on the ground uh, risking their lives journalism. Mm-hmm. And we're going to present an award to for it. Mm. Uh, next category best costume design. The nominees are Bar- Jacqueline Duran for Barbie, Jacqueline West for Killers of Flower Moon, Janty Yates and Dave Crossman for Napoleon, Ellen Murinich for Oppenheimer. And Holly Waddington for Poor Things. Done. I went with Poor Things for costumes. Ooh, I've gone Barbie. Yeah. Recreating all those classic Barbie costumes. Mm. Best cinematography. The nominees are Edward Luckman for El Conde, Rodrigo Prito for Killers of the Flower Moon. Matthew Libertech for Maestro, Jose Van Houtenham for Oppenheimer, Robbie Ryan for Poor Things. I've gone Oppenheimer. I too have gone Oppenheimer. Yep, unsurprising. Uh, best animated feature, the nominees are The Boy and the Heron, Elemental, Nimona, Robot Dreams, and Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Duh. 
I've gone the boy and the heron. I've gone the right decision, Spider-Man across Spider-Man. <laughs> Even though I would be very happy if, you know, the boy and the heron won. Even though Mizaki is probably not going to be there. We will both be wrong. I think one of us will be right. <laughs> you reckon? What, what do you think is actually going to win? No, the boy and the heron. What are you talking about? <laughs> now we're both going to be... Oh, Jesus. All right. Uh, best Supporting Actress. The nominees are Emily Blunt for Oppenheimer, Danielle Brooks for The Color Purple, America Ferrer for Barbie, Jodie Foster for Nyad, and Davine Joy Randolph for The Holdovers. I've gone Day Joy Randolph for The Holdovers. I've gone uh, Jodie Foster with a surprise coming. Oh, that would be a surprise. Oh. Massive shock. Uh, best Supporting Actor. The nominees are Sterling K. Brown for American Fiction, Robert De Niro for Killers of the Flower Moon, Robert Downey Jr. for Oppenheimer, Ryan Gosling for Barbie, and Mark Ruffalo for Poor Things. Dylan? Robert Downey Jr., Oppenheimer. I've also got Robert Downey Jr., Oppenheimer. Uh, we thought it'd be closer, but you know he's won every single award, I think. Yep. Uh, other than Best uh, best Supporting Actor. No, they didn't even have a Best Supporting Actor in a comedy at the Golden Globes. So yeah, he's won pretty much everything. Uh, best Actress. The nominees are Annette Benning for Nyad, Lily Gladstone for Kills the Flower Moon, Sandra Huller for Anatomy of a Fall, Carrie Mulligan for Maestro, and Emma Stone for Poor Things. I've gone Emma Stone. I've gone Lily Gladstone. Although I do feel like this is a this is a tough one. Given Yeah, the, I feel like these two categories these yeah. two best categories are the lead categories are like very closely contested. Mm. Yeah. Uh, speaking of best actor nominees are Bradley Cooper for Maestro Coleman Domingo for Russin Paul Giamatti for The Holdovers Cillian Murphy for Oppenheimer and Jeffrey Wright for American Fiction Dylan uh, op- uh, Oppenheimer yeah. I've also gone Cillian Murphy for Oppenheimer uh, who I think has started to like the momentum is starting to go his way after Paul Giamatti was winning a lot of stuff. Oh, no, I can't remember up. last time. I don't remember last time I saw Paul Giamatti win. I feel like I've just seen Cillian Murphy. In fact, I saw a meme of day where it was just Cillian Murphy winning several times and just pictures of Bradley Cooper looking very annoyed in the audience. <laughs> mm, that's fair. All right. Best original screenplay. The nominees are Anatomy of a Fall, The Holdovers, Maestro, May, December, and Past Lives. I've gone past lives. I've gone anatomy of a fall. Yeah. Uh, chance to give diff- a chance to give a woman an award. <laughs> I think yeah. past lives is written by a woman, right? Yeah, yeah. It's written directed by a woman. Multiple yeah. women, I think. Like yeah. three of the four, three of the five, I think, are written by women. So, hmm. uh, best adapted screenplay. The nominees are American Fiction, Barbie, Oppenheimer, Poor Things. And the zone of interest. I've gone American fiction. I've, so I've gone heard... Oppenheimer. Yeah. I, yeah. I've just gone. They're not going to give Oppenheimer everything. There's got to be at least a couple of categories that they give it to something else. So. When's American fiction out? Uh, the eighth. Right now. <laughs> Is it? Oh, I missed that. My bad. Like sometime this morning, I think it dropped. Okay. Right. 
Uh, all right. Best director. The nominees are Justin Triette for An Enemy of a Fall, Martin Scorsese for Killers of Flower Moon, Christopher Nolan for Oppenheimer, August Lanthimos for Poor Things, and Jonathan Glazer for The Zone of Interest. I've gone Christopher Nolan for Oppenheimer. Yep. Think very safe bet there. Mm-hmm. And then Best Picture. The nominees are American Fiction, Anatomy of a Fall, Barbie, The Holdovers, Killers of the Flower Moon, Maestro, Oppenheimer, Past Lives, Poor Things, and The Zone of Interest. Dylan, who are you predicting for Best Picture? Maestro. No, I'm joking. Oppenheimer. I'm also predicting Oppenheimer. So <laughs> I think I would be genuinely shocked if anything but Oppenheimer won hmm. at this point. You know? So, yeah. Those are our predictions. I think it, we might it might be a closer year this year. You know, we got a couple. I feel like those those technical categories and the 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 you know not headlining categories are going to be the ones that make the big difference. So, uh, do you know? Let us know who you think is going to win, uh, and we'll all look forward to watching the Academy Awards. It's only two like two weeks away. Crazily, it also feels like it's been forever since. <laughs> uh, uh, it's been a long award season yeah all right let's jump into a little bit of film news this is an interesting one that i saw pop up and got surprisingly positive uh remarks about uh so it's been reported by the in snyder that lionsgate is keen on doing a modern day version of brett easton ellis's american psycho lionsgate owns the ip for adaptation is apparently open to a writer taking killer suit patrick bateman into the 21st century with a version of the character more befitting the modern age plenty of inspiration out there in the modern business world that's for sure uh lionsgate had pondered a remake 12 years ago but nothing ever came of it while easton ellis has pondered where bateman might be in the modern world of course american psycho has famously been adapted before with the most now iconic christian bale performance as bateman in mary harron's film from the year 2000 in the original story a wealthy new york investment banking executive hides his alternative psychopathic ego from his co-workers and friends as he escalates deeper into his illogical, gratuitous fantasies. Uh, I've seen a lot of positive reactions to this news, like people like being very keen on the idea of a modern, a more modern, uh, well, I guess modern day, it's like 24 years, uh, American Psycho. Dylan, would an American Psycho set currently work Mm. Are you keen know. on the idea? Mm, it's hard because I like in. I guess an update could be interesting. There's so many like changes around like what that type of character and business person would do and be about. There, there are definitely updates, but then I think about things like the classic business card scene. I'm like, does that work? Like, what would they change that to? The fucking TikTok page? I don't know. Like, no, the the digital business card. Digital, digital card. business card. Yeah. Look at my Adobe font. Yeah. <laughs> so crisp, double layers. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm iffy. Yeah, I mean, as long as they are actually making it modern day, I think that's key. Like, you have to, like, modernize it in an interesting way. Um, yeah, I mean, the potential's there. You know, there is a ton of American psychos out there. So, I mean, I'm sure they can find somebody to, like, some sort of inspiration you know 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. You know, it it was just interesting to me the the positiveness around this news uh, in a world in which you know everybody gets upset about remakes uh, being bad in general. Um, so they should. Yeah, I mean, so they should, but you know. The idea of taking a, something that's old and kind of reimagining it in one day is not a terrible, you know, is not terrible in every circumstance, is what I'm saying. You know? So, yeah, this filled me with uh, optimism about you know, the reporting of news and that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, the other big story this week, uh, I'm reading from Deadline. In a move that ought to make fans of the Beatles twist and shout, Sony Pictures Entertainment and Oscar-winning filmmaker Sam Mendes and his Neil Street Productions have set plans to make four separate theatrical films, one of each of the members of the music's most famous and enduring band. Mendes will direct all four films, and this marks the first time Apple Corps Limited and the Beatles, uh, Paul McCartney, Ringo, Starr, and the families of John Lennon and John Harrison have granted full life story and music rights for a scripted film. Uh, Mendes conceived this his grand vision. He'll tell interconnected. He'll tell interconnected stories from one from. He'll tell interconnected stories, one from each band member's point of view. The dating cadence of the films will be revealed close to the film's releases. I'm told they're locking down writers quickly. Uh, yeah, Dylan, what do you think of the concept of Sam Mendes making four Beatles movies centered around each of the characters or each of the members of the Beatles? Ridiculous. <laughs> Absolutely ridiculous. The Beatles cinematic universe. <laughs> I can't wait to have to watch a Disney Plus show to understand uh, like, where Ringo was introduced first, you know? Like... I think it, it's cool. I think, you know, very ambitious. Um, you know, I'd like... And we are getting some weirdly ambitious projects uh, out at the moment. Like, like, I mean, James Cameron's coming out and said he wants to make a gazillion Avatar movie. So, I mean, you know, whatever. But Sam Mendes, like, kind of committing to what would potentially, you would imagine, be like a decade-long <laughs> project unless they're shooting everything back-to-back at the same time, which you may also have to do <laughs> because, you know, you're shooting four movies you want to have I guess scenes that are from the same sets and that kind of stuff. Like, yeah, I feel like this is a logistical issue more than anything else. Like how, how do you do all, a lot of this will have to be filmed at the same time, just shot like from different angles and that kind of stuff. How like logistically do you pay everybody for that? Like is all the crew getting paid for four movies at the same time? If they're shooting four movies, like, are you getting four times the pay for, like, potentially the same amount of work as one movie, uh, one really long movie? Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't think it's unheard of. Like, I've seen, like, I know there is at least one project where it's, like, this events of a relationship is told from, like, his perspective, and then there's another movie that tells it from her perspective. Um, but, and then they also did a cut where it's, like, intercut of, like, the two, so... Potentially, down the road, there could be a director's cut where it's just all five movies, all four movies, like, cut together as one project. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a big, bold idea, like, you know. I mean, did you ever see- watch no- Nowhere Boy? Yes, I watched Nowhere Boy. With uh, why, why Aaron Taylor-Johnson and yeah. Bruce Thomas Sangster. Why do we need this? Yeah. It's fine. 
we're going to see the bit after that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I think the key thing here is going to be who's going to play the Beatles. And that brings us to this week's top three. Definitely in the top three. Top three is top three casting recommendations for the Beatles. So, Dylan, what's your number three? I got three actors. I couldn't. I I think they can play whatever role. Um, <laughs> don't really care because all these Beatles are interchangeable, and yeah. they're all three of these white boys. They're just three role. white boys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think two of them are probably the go tos. So I'll start number three, Ty Sheridan. Mm. He's a white boy. <laughs> okay. He played Scott Summers and that dude in Ready Player One. Yeah, he certainly did. All right. Uh, so my thought process, number one, my only rule was they need to be British. Mm. I, I don't want a bunch of Americans coming and playing the Beatles. You know what I mean? You have to quickly check in your list of official list of no, no, I think I'm good. <laughs> uh, so I've put down no, hold on. Harry... Ty Sheridan's from Texas, fuck. <laughs> I was about to say, I'm pretty sure it's American, so yeah. Uh, you know, but whatever. I, like, I've seen people like... Uh... No. Like... Dominic Sessa from Holdovers, he should be playing one of the Beatles. It's like, he's very American. I, I saw people recommending, um, what's his face from, um, The Bear? Evan Moss background? <laughs> no, the main dude. <laughs> yeah. Are you Berry? <laughs> no. Like, the Beatles. <laughs> Jeremy Allen White, yeah. Like yeah. Uh, my number three, Harry Melling. As Ringo Starr, Harry Melling, obviously probably best known for playing Duke Dudley in those Harry Potter movies, uh, but he had a he's had a pretty solid post that career, you know, working with the Coens on the Ballad of uh, Buster Scruggs, and then he was a key character in the Queen's Gambit TV series. He's just got like the face and like that kind of stuff, the vibe to play Ringo. Okay, Dylan, who's number two? Paul Mescal. Choice, a white British boy that we all love. <laughs> He's in all the movies that we love currently. That's a good pick. Good pick. Uh, my number two is Leo Woodell, Woodall, as Paul McCartney. Uh, so he is currently the hot big thing at the moment. Obviously, he's coming off the last season of uh, White Lotus, uh, but he's in that one day Netflix series that you know is doing gangbusters. Um, to the extent where he's rumored for a bunch of different things, including potentially playing James Bond. But uh, let's get him in this long-running Beatles thing before that. <laughs> yeah, he's got that boyish face. Uh, Dylan, what's your number one? Barry Keoghan. Kate Keoghan? Yep. He's that white Irish boy that we all love, <laughs> and he's in all the movies we like right now. He's not wearing many clothes at the moment. Yeah, so I reckon him. That's a good choice. Uh, my number one is George Mackay as John Lennon. Of course, he worked. He's already worked with Sam Mendes on nineteen seventeen. So he'll work on a relationship. 
pretty sure he's uh, not British. Pretty sure he is British. You sure? No, you're right. Yeah, suck it. <laughs> uh, and he's done like a bunch of weird. I mean, he was in the Ned Kelly thing, so you're like, oh, he's Australian. Uh, I knew he wasn't Australian, but for some reason, I thought he was a he was a secret American British spy. He could be, but uh, yeah, I think he'd be a good fit for for John Lennon and that kind of stuff. So yeah, those are our casting recommendations. And that's this week's top three. Let's move in and give in some thumbs to trailers. Of course, you can find all the trailers we're about to talk about in the show notes below. Uh, big list this week. Uh, kicking things off with Boy Kills World, directed by Mortitz Moore, starring Bill Skarsgård, Jessica Roth, Michelle Dockery, Brett Gelman, Isaiah Mustafa, uh, Yad Yan Ruhin, Andrew Koji, Shalto Copley, R. John Benjamin, and Famke Jansen. When his family is killed, a deaf man named Boy escapes the jungle where he's trained by a mysterious mentor to exact revenge on the murderers. Dylan, what do you think of the trailer for Boy Kills World? Yeah, I don't know where this came from. Hey, um, double thumbs up. Um, uh, I it's, it's a very weird concept. Uh, very wild trailer. I love the setup with the... Then I, then I got a voice... Then I got kit. Then I got abs. Then I got. The, then I joined a team. Like it's, it's a very funny paced uh, trailer. And uh, yeah, I'm uh, all for a Famke Janison return. I guess. Yep. Get her. Get her in something before she returns in. <laughs> Deadpool and Wolverine. Yeah. Uh, su- surprise cameo. I'm sure. Mm. Uh, yeah. This two thumbs ups from me as well. I think you know very fun cartoony setup uh obviously you know strong heavy action uh trailer uh i think there is a bunch of like pretty solid martial artists like known i think his mentor is like the dude from the raid right he's one of them he's the less famous one Yaya yeah like, and, uh ruin ruin yeah so um bill skarsgård looks like he's put on a bunch of muscles <laughs> and yes the idea of him having an internal monologue that's like an over-the-top action star voice is amusing uh also love the use of that song um which we last saw in that uh charlie day comedy movie that didn't review very well that nobody saw uh but had a fun trailer and it, it works here too you know the bing bang boom stuff uh it, it also the weird like uh hunger games slash uh purge element of this is amusing as well with the uh breakfast series of mascots murdering people on I'll tell television. you what this thing has a marketing budget and they're using it i think this is just one trailer one trailer but ign's got sponsored sponsored stuff up ign has like exclusive clips uh i've seen it mm. highly pushed on twitter i feel like they've paid for it um yeah working that algorithm yeah. uh so according to one site i've read it's coming to cinemas here in australia on the 25th of april I couldn't see that confirmed anywhere else. So take it with a grain of salt. Uh, next trailer is for Shirley, directed by John Ridley, starring Regina King, Lance Reddick, Lucas Hedges, Brian Stokes, Mitchell, Christina Jackson, Michael Cherry, Andre Holland, and Terrence Howard. In 1972, the first ever black congresswoman, Shirley Chisholm, uh, launches a trailblazing campaign to become the president of the United States. Dylan, what are your thoughts on this biopic? 
Uh, double thumbs down. I thought it was a very paint by numbers boring trailer. But the story may be great and the person and everything, but I just thought it was a yeah, very just a very boring trailer. Yeah, I'll give it one up, one down. I think you know it is pretty you know by the numbers. Again, there is a line where it's like you just sound like every other politician. And this kind I'm of does not. feel like this does feel like every other politician biopic, you know? yeah. uh, especially set around this era and that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I mean, there could be interest, some interesting stuff in there. Obviously, it looks like she's talking with the Black Panthers party and that kind of stuff. Um, you know, trying to get their support and that kind of thing. So that could be. I'm sure it's very. It will be a very interesting film. Regina King is a very good actress, and like Lance Reddick, and then the cast is really good. Um, but yeah, this is you know, has it got me eagerly anticipating it? No. So, uh, Shirley releases on Netflix, twenty second of March. Next trailer is for The Girls on the Bus, uh, created by Amy Chuzik and Julie Pleck, starring Melissa Benoist. Carla Gugino, Natasha Bennett, Bainham, Christina Elmore, Brandon Scott, Griff, Griffin Dunn, Mark Consilis, and Scott Foley. Sadie McCarthy is a journalist who romanticizes a bygone era of campaigning and reporting and scraps her whole life for a shot at covering a presidential campaign at covering a presidential candidate for a paper of record. Sadie joins the bus and eventually bonds with her three female competitors, Grace, Lola, and Kim- Kimberlin. Uh, despite the differences, the women become a found family with a front row seat to the greatest soap opera in town, The Battle for the White House. Dylan, what did you think of the trailer for the girls on the bus? I'm going to go one up, one down. It was a very mixed vibe, sort of all over the place trailer where I couldn't figure out if it was just supposed to be like Sex and the City, but on a bus or um, like that sort of vibe or more serious or I, I don't know. Um, I really enjoyed... Melissa Benoist in this trailer. I think she was the standout. Um, so, yeah, one up, one down. I'll stand by that. Uh, yeah, I'll be one up, one down. One up, one down as well. Uh, I'm interested by the conceit of the the idea of the season, like following a presidential campaign. Um, I don't think people understand what the bus is, like, in general, like, probably outside of America, like, Probably not outside America. Pip. I mean, the only reason I know is from watching a lot of um, the newsroom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess yeah. That would yeah. That definitely would have helped. There was that second season with John Gallagher's character is like on the, on the bus. Yeah, I was about to say they. But, um, also from like documentaries and stuff. But yes, that's okay, a very yeah. good point. The newsroom. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it looks interesting. It's interest. It'll be interesting to see if they how they can juggle those four characters who are very you would think would be at odds with each other, like you know. Uh, you know, the conservative and the, the very liberal and the, you know, the new media person and like the person who wants to remote loves the old age of reporting and that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, it's intriguing concepts, not a super engaging trailer, but, um, like everybody involved, I'll probably check it out. So this one is coming to binge starting the 14th of March. Next trailer is for the gentleman. Created by Guy Ritchie, starring Theo James, Caius Delario, Daniel Ings, Jolly Richardson, Vinny Jones, Giancarlo Esposito, Chanel Cresswell, Michael Vu, Max Beasley, Jasmine Blackborough, Harry Goodwins, Darcy Lim, Pierce Quigley, 
Ruby Sears, Peter Serafinovich, Ray Winstone, and Guz Khan. Eddie Horneman unexpectedly inherits his father's sizable country estate, only to discover it's part of a cannabis empire. Moreover, a host of unsavory characters from Britain's criminal underworld want a piece of the operation. Deaded, determined to extricate his family from their clutches, Eddie tries to play the gangsters at their own game. However, as he gets sucked into the world of criminality, he begins to find a taste for it. Dylan, what do you think of this series uh, set in the world of The Gentleman, but starring no people from The Gentleman? Yeah, I'm keen. Double thumbs up. Um, I really like the cast. Uh, great to see Vinnie Jones in this. Uh, vibes. Looks exactly like The Gentleman. It's because it's still got Guy Rich involved. Yeah, hopefully it's good. Double thumbs up. I enjoy the trailer. So, based on this trailer, how close to the vibe of the gentleman is it just it's set in britain and there's criminals no they had like a so like there's even the part where like they because you've never watched it then um they have a like they have the part where they go into that shipping container it goes into like a secret area like that's from the movie like so a lot of it setup wise feels the same even like matthew mahonahay's character feels similar even though matthew mahonahay's character in the movie is like full-on in the in the 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 business crime world um the crime world but theo james even though he's coming into it here feels similar-ish um and then you've got some of the weird and wild wackier characters they feel like they fit in the yeah like it just feels thematically the same but with a bunch of different characters yeah i'll give it two thumbs up i mean it looks like it'll be a fun time uh with crazy criminal hijinks and just the idea of this massive cannabis campaign uh production underneath a country estate is amusing to me at the very least so the gentleman releases on netflix the 7th of march last trailer for this week is for horizon an american saga directed by kevin costa starring kevin costa sienna miller sam worthington jenna malone abby lee michael rooker danny houston luke wilson isabella Furman, jeff fahey will Patton, tatanka means Owen Crochu, Ella Hunt, and Jamie Campbell Bower. In the great tradition of Warner Brother Pictures' iconic westerns, Horizon, an American saga, explores the lure of the Old West and how it was won and lost through the blood, sweat, and tears of many. Spanning the four years of the Civil War from 1861 to 1865, Costner's ambitious cinematic adventure will take audiences on an emotional journey through across a country at war with itself, experiencing Experienced through the lens of families, friends, and foes, all attempting to discover what it truly means to be the United States of America. Uh, so this is a trailer for Horizon American Saga, but it is for two films, Chapter 1 and Chapter 2. Mm. <laughs> what do you think of this trailer for this massive American Western? I'm going to double thumbs up. I think it definitely has a cinematic, huge cinematic vibe um, and captures a type of film that used to be huge and pretty much like i mean westerns used to be superhero films right um they were the biggest box office makers they were the but then they there was a, a point of too many of them and they sort of you know and the interest waned as we what passed. a crazy notion that there was an over influx of the yep. movies of the same genre yep. that got diminishing returns and eventually died out yeah so i look forward to that um Beautifully shot based on this. Cinematography looks insane. Um, proper cinema ratio. 
Um, lots of ca- cast looks great. Um, I know why you're laughing. Fuck you. Uh, then also, but my 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 one conceit, like double thumbs up for the trailer. But going into the movie, my one point is going to be it really i know a couple times i show native americans but it really just seems like it's just a 2024 film of a subject that's been covered multiple times where it's just going to do the exact same shit and sort of shove them characters and their stories to the side and they have them and the trailer gives you like a couple glimpses and that would be like well no no no, their story that they're involved in part of it i'm like okay but i never saw a single one of those characters speak throughout the trailer i never saw anything other than them either being painted as like the the big setup scene the they paint the them as villains again because they're you know you see the arrow for uh, fly through the house and it's we like, don't know if it's them just saying they at least in the trailer it's like them savages that sort of like setup which it's just the typical sort of western thing so i'm hoping it's not that because then it's like mm. i don't really understand this isn't actually the american saga the truth if that's what you're sort of going out to create. Um, I know that obviously there's characters, Native American characters in it because they show them sometimes. But again, within this trailer, they're shown to either be attacking people or sitting quietly. Like none of them look to have any personality or lines or talking. You know what I mean? Like every, all the main characters that get any sort of emotion or scenes throughout this entire trailer are all the white characters. Hmm. I'll give one up, one down. I just feel like it wasn't clear what this movie is, you know, other than a bunch of Western tropes and like, uh, story elements. Like, uh, well, I mean, it's just the expansion of America. It's the, they, they're attempting to take up more land. That's the story. Like, is it though? I mean, from my understanding, yes. Yeah. I, yeah. I just wish there was more of a clearer through line. It just feels like a best of moments from, if what I had to guess, I would be. assume because this is a trailer for both movies, it's a vibe. Like, that's the trailer. It's just yeah. a vibe. And then if they release a trailer for part one, then hopefully that would be more narrative focused. Mm. But yeah, I mean, it looks beautiful. Mm. Lots of great actors. Uh, the set pieces look very good with, like, the fires and that kind of stuff. And, like, uh, you know, it's probably going to be very tragic. Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Again, a very ambitious project. Uh, Kevin Costner obviously shot part one and part two back to back, and is apparently wants to do parts three and four. Um, you know, he he finished doing Yellowstone and was like, "I need to do my own western. I can't can't do this modern day western bullshit. I need to do old school westerns," um, which is crazy. So yeah, weirdly, Kevin Costner's first movie and like director movie it's in like twenty years. So. Hmm uh yeah uh american saga part one no horizon american saga uh chapter one is set to release in america on june 28th 2024 and chapter two is set to release august 16th 2024 no it confirmed australian release dates uh but i guess we'll wait and see on that uh dylan this week what do you want to watch this week i'd like to watch june part two please Yes, I would also like to watch, watch Doom Part 2, please. No, I'm going to. <laughs> <laughs> and well, you're, you're going to. You're going tonight as of recording. Um, I'm going Wednesday night. I've I've booked my ticket for the double feature. You've you've committed. I've committed. Now, my only worry is that maybe by the time I leave work, I'll have to, I'd miss like the first 15, 20 minutes. But I'm like, yeah, like that is what it is. You know what I mean? You can just rewatch the first 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. Well, I've said it. Yeah, or like, I, I assume there'll be a significant amount of trailers before. So, you know, so 
yeah. despite it being a double feature, they'll put, mm. stick a bunch of trailers at the start. Of they will. So. Uh, hopefully, they don't play a billion between the movies. That would be fucking no. Fuck yeah. good. It'd be Same. massive. The long trailers, uh, the long credits, uh, and then you know straight into it. Straight into it. So yeah. fucking hope so. Very pop, keen. Any, pop out front for a smoke. You know. No. <laughs> Get a refill bathroom yeah. mission. Quick Get pierce. Whatever you got to do. Um, I yeah. would recommend. <laughs> yeah, I'd recommend it's like two and a half hours. Yeah, uh, yes. So I'll be doing that. TV show front, Pokemon Horizons. The first episode is Ooh. out today. It was uh, as recording. It was airing on uh, Nine Go. So I'm looking forward to watching that. Fine, that's where. You, sorry for. So that's Australians. It's officially out. The first, the Ash Ketchumless Pokemon series first episode just aired. Um, I assume. Um, be able to watch it on the catch up dubbed yeah dubbed yeah okay yeah so actually i might load it up now and see if it's already while you do but there my two uh tv france uh i do want to check out awaju which is the new uh disney animated series in conjunction with uh a uh african storytelling group uh set in like a weird futuristic nigeria uh that looks really cool so that's going to release on disney plus this week uh also shout out to the what is it the completely true stories curly made up adventures of dick turpin which is obviously going up on tv plus this week which we talked about in the trailer a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. uh, it's, not, it's not on here yet but i mean it only finished airing it like like recently so I assume it will go to like. Is, is there ever a thing where they don't put a show that aired on to the recap service? That'd be weird, right? I don't know. Surely not. Anyway, yeah, it should be on there. It was airing. I I opened Nine Go, uh, at the website while I was recording, um, and I saw it, and was, it was airing. I clicked, it was playing at the time, so I was like, oh, cool. Maybe it's a bit of delay or something. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let us know what you want to watch this week. What Beatles should be casting a bit? Who should be casting the Beatles movie? Uh, let us know by going to explosion.com slash Twitter or jump to Discord at explosion.com slash Discord. If you want to help us out here at One Hour Watch, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser. Leave us five stars. And you can leave five stars or just tell people about the show. And if you've enjoyed this episode, Thor's worth a dollar, head on over to our cover page at explosion.com slash supports. Thank you very much for listening. Until next time, keep watching stuff, I guess. Like Avatar The Last Airbender animated series.